This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to episode the 37th of Tamper Tantrum. My name is Colin Harmon and uh, I am not joined today by Mr. Steve Layton. Uh, I am instead joined by uh, my esteemed colleague, uh, Miss Jen Ruglow. How are you, Jen? I'm very well, Colin. Thanks very much. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, so those of you that don't know, uh, Jen is, um, I'm going to say the unsung hero of Tamper Tantrum. I'm the Wilson, apparently. The Wilson of Tamper Tantrum, yeah. So uh, Jen is behind the, the picket fence that is the internet. And um, does all the organising, the editing, the, I suppose, the event organisation for Tampa Tantrum. The aces with all our guests, enemies and friends, and um, basically makes everything happen. So it's a full-time member of staff from Tampa Tantrum. <laughs> and today has, uh, has decided to join me on the podcast. It's a bit weird. Like, am I still allowed to be Wilson if I'm actually speaking for once? Because usually I'm just in the background typing away and yelling at you guys saying like, no, 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 go back to the agenda I've written. Go back, go back, go back. Well, like, Wilson, Wilson, you could hear his voice. You just never saw his face. Okay. Well, that that holds for the podcast, but like, I kind of am around at the events as well. Yes. Okay. So we put like a fence in front of your face maybe for future events, not to sort that problem out. Um, So (laughs) I think um, like... It's it's interesting. Uh, you might have noticed, but in coffee, uh, the boys tend to get a lot of attention, and um, we uh, would probably um, get a lot more uh, recognition than you would. Okay, but in saying that, most people would have a huge understanding or a huge familiarity with the work that you've done over the years. So your first start in coffee was with uh, ceremonies, all right? Yeah, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't ceremony at the time. They were uh, Cafe Pronto, um, and then they changed the ceremony shortly after I left, um, which was nice to see from, from far away. I was like, oh, that's really pretty, really awesome. I like the work they're doing. Um, but yeah, I, I started there, and then I kind of, you know, came and came to Ireland. Yeah, so you walked into 3FE in, was it 2010? Oh, yeah, I probably, well, I was there, so I was there the, the day you guys opened the beat yard. Wow. I was selling cupcakes. Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I do actually remember, because you had your hair slicked back. Yeah, I was, um, I was doing my master's uh, dissertation at the time, and was doing research with body tonic, and was trying to sort of like get some understanding of what the beat yard was. I thought it was a really fascinating concept. It kind of tied into what I was writing about at the time, and was like, you know what, I will sell cupcakes. And then I got there and I realized that selling cupcakes to people who are intending to go crate digging for records is not a wise idea because no one wants frosting all over the records they're about to buy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, wow, I've forgotten all about that. Interesting. Uh, I think I came and dropped over a couple of cupcakes and thanked Dave for the coffee because I thought Dave was you um, because I didn't know you from Adam at the time. And Dave was like, no, 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 that's the man who made the coffee over there. And I was like, oh, hi. Oh, wow. Thanks, it was tasty. God, that's a long, that's a whole <laughs> lifetime ago. Yeah. So then you, you started working with 3 of you in 2000, in late 2010, was it? Uh, 2011. 2011. So after I finished my master's, um, yeah, I wanted to stay in Dublin and I really, like Twisted Pepper had sort of become my spiritual home as it were. And I was really comfortable there. And I think you guys were looking for someone and I, I dropped a CV in that was really embarrassing because 
I may have been a Moan and Zen Syrup Master. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honorable mention. Moan and Zen Syrup Master. <laughs> something really terrible like that. Wow. Um, and I thought, because like that was something that Cafe Pronto had done at the time. And it was like, because Greg Sukoff was, was working for Cafe Pronto and he was really big into like the competitions that weren't WBC. And so I, you know, was starting to get into that as well. And that was a thing. I got an honorable mention in a competition. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll put that on my CV when I go and chuck it into Colin. The and known and Zen Syrup Master. Yeah, fan. terrifying, man. Um, yeah, and um, I suppose you didn't work on bar that long, Willow Sweetie, did you? No, um, it was, I mean, I think for a while it was, it was washing dishes and I think I had to go back and like sort out some stuff and then at home and then came back and sort of launched into it full time. But because I'd sort of been in contact with everybody for such a long time, I was... You know, not necessarily like everyone's like, oh yeah, you're here. It's it's cool. Like you know what you're doing. And I was kind of like, uh, I kind of don't know what I'm doing. It's cool. I'll just pretend. It's awesome. Like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, we yeah. started then uh, tamper tantrum, and I think um, like well, first of all, you you were the you were kind of given the job of organizing the wholesale. Yeah. Uh, because I well, I wasn't really the best at that, was I? Like I was good at selling the things and getting people on board, but then the organization behind it all was a bit of a nightmare for me. So you kind of took that on board. And I remember everything started to happen once you took it on board because invoices were sent out and <laughs> um, orders were made in time and things. So um, that was a, you really started, kickstarted the wholesale operation at 3FE. I'll just take all the credit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I remember then quite vividly, was it was the first Tamper Tantrum episode, mm-hmm. uh, event and we ran it into Twisted Pepper and like thinking back, that was quite a lineup of speakers we had. We had Cosimo Labardo, James Hoffman, David Walsh, uh, Steve Layton, myself, Paul Stack, yeah, uh, Gwilym Davies, yeah. Susan Davies, Susan Davies. Um, that was amazing. We had people flying from like Russia and from France and from all over the UK, and a yeah. dude who was on his holidays from Australia, but still we we're going to say he flew in from Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember like twenty minutes before we started, and the screen didn't work. Yeah, all sorts of stuff went wrong. Yeah, but that was like, that was, I think that was the day that you really kind of like um, stepped up at 3FE, like, because you pretty much ran that event, didn't you? Um, I, I don't know. So I ran the, I think the, like, the early stuff. So I remember panicking because you were kind of like, well, we, we want to have like nice artwork on the walls. We want to do this thing. And we'd had Al take some really lovely photographs oh, yeah. on this really old camera. And we we're getting these printed, like massive, these massive canvases printed with these photographs on the, and it was just like all down to the wire and very nerve-wracking and I just and like posters and all of this stuff and like I was very new at design work at the time but I like really wanted to learn and really wanted to do that and it's something I picked up like when we got wholesale like so we had the wholesale list that was different we'd sort of designed a wholesale yeah list it had a logo stuff. on it <laughs> yeah and uh and so I was very new at this sort of like idea of design work and was like oh, I really want to do this I really want to do a good job at this and then like printing difficulties and whatever and then on top of that like all of the yeah all the stuff went wrong on the day and I think I was still actually learning how to make coffee the three of you because I remember it was um we had sort of set stations up for people on the coffee bar for during the breaks yeah and because I had been doing all of my milk practice they stuck me on milk um which was cool because I was I think I hope I don't know James Hoffman will have to tell me um like (laughs) I think I made a decent cappuccino but the problem was like my pouring still wasn't great so he got something that was really blobby and ugly and I was just handing this cappuccino to James Hoffman like Hi. And then I was like, Jordan, your turn. <laughs> like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, it's too stressful. <laughs> Just do the steaming. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Tamper Tantrum is, uh, you were there very much from the get-go. And then um, 
there was a few I think if like we're on episode 30 something 40 whatever I can't already forgotten um, so <laughs> but we this, the 1 to 25 were quite sporadic and, and all over the place so I think it's, it's obviously just uh, become a bit more um, prolific mm. since uh, you've come on full time but in the early days you were always involved at the events and even after you left TFE you went to the States for a while to work in um a little company called Facebook. Yeah, tiny, tiny company. Um, bit of a bit of a change. <laughs> a little <say>. bit. <laughs> yeah. I remember I got interviewed for your job at, at Facebook. Yes. How was that? <laughs> Did you enjoy that? <laughs> it was quite intense. Yeah, it was quite intense, but fun nonetheless. Um. So then, uh, in between that, you had since at WCE. Hmm. Yes, I did. Um, I think I started taking on like as soon as we knew that we were going to need to move to California. Um. Like you introduced me to, to Cindy WCE and they started sort of like giving me some work because I could work from home with them. And I got to California, which is ostensibly home, you know, in the sense that it's the States and it's where I'm from. And Maryland, Maryland, uh, Annapolis, Maryland, uh, where we go down the ocean and uh, we eat lots of old bay. No, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to California and it was a totally different world. And I, I think I gotten so comfortable in Ireland and Although I loved the team at WCE, I was in like this little weird town called Sunnyvale, which is like a, an offshoot of, of San Francisco, like basically a sleeper town where everyone just goes into their techie job and, and comes home. And I was working from home in coffee um, and miserable. I didn't know anyone and I was just so sad. And my partner would come home at the end of the day and I'd be like, pay attention to me. Like, let's talk. Let's have all this stuff. And he'd be like, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I had a full day at Facebook. Um, and so in the end, like I... As much as I love the, the work with, with WCE, I, I had to get a job that was there where I had a place to go and just like see people yeah, um, and not just be in this little bubble of apartment yeah, all day long. And um, like I said before, but most people mightn't uh, know your face because you're Wilson, um, but <laughs> they if they've been to any competitions in the last few years, uh, any world WBC competitions in the last few years, they probably would have seen you running around with a, a headset and a clipboard. Oh yeah. I'm good at the headsets and the clipboards. Um, yeah, I think my first my first WBC stage managing was Melbourne, um, and that was a crazy experience. And like you were there, and um, I just remember going like I've never done this before. I have no experience managing something on this scale, but they needed someone there, and I was new at WCE, and they were like, "Well, Jen seems fairly organized. We think she can handle it." And I was kind of like, "Okay." And I remember Marcus, who had been the stage manager but needed to take a bigger role with competitions operations at the time, being like, "Don't worry, like I've got your back. Like we'll help out. It'll be cool." And then like stuff all sorts of stuff went wrong on stage like wasn't her basket swapped out her basket swapped out and like uh like one of oh my favorite moment from that wbc okay and this is something everybody talks about matt perger and the ak-43 okay that wasn't the greatest innovation at all okay the greatest innovation at that wbc was francesco sinapo wheeling out yes (laughs) like like what seemed like a whole like grocery store aisle onto his onto the the show floor so you're allowed to bring a trolley and he you know that like anyone's listening if they've been to whole foods or anywhere like that you see these stainless steel metal shelving that you have and sometimes they have wheels and you can move those shelving units around and he wheeled one of those onto the stage with all the stuff on it it was nerve-wracking like is he allowed to do that yeah i think so like i mean he brought his own cart you're allowed to do that um but it was no, that was backstage for us. I think they, because he didn't yeah. do it in the first round. I think he, they just found it because it was in the, the oh, prep Oh, that's area. right. That's right. That's and right. Went, it was a prep area thing. And like we had, I think we had some sponsor equipment back there, like some blenders and stuff like that. And people had taken everything off. And yeah, no, he's probably not supposed to do that. But you know. Kudos. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you enjoy Let's it? See. 
Um, at the time, I was miserable. Like I was, I was running around going like, I feel like I don't have a grasp on this. And anybody who sort of knows me a little bit knows that I maybe could be termed a control freak, possibly. No. No. Um, I'm not having that too. <laughs> but like, I do remember just being like, I am totally out of control of the situation. I really just want this to run on time. Like I really just want this to work and, and to do a good job and, um, and feeling like I hadn't done it. And at the end of it, it was... I was so pleased with like it, like it was such an incredible experience from the perspective that you're you're a part of um, like fifty two people's lives at a at a moment where it's really emotional for them and it's really exciting for them. It's like having fifty two brides in one day. Yeah, it really is. And Bruce's are dicks. <laughs> not all of them. No, forty nine of them. <laughs> like I think I, I've always tried to be as nice as possible to the people on the the show floor and the organizers. And the people, the runners, because mm. those guys are stressed. Yeah. They do not want to fuck it up for you. Yeah. And they come up and they're like, oh, do you need anything? What do you want me to do? And I'm always like, dude, chill. It's cool. Just do your thing. It's fine. I'll work around you. And they're like, really? And yeah. it's like, because you can see how much stress those people are under. So, And you, I can't, actually, was it you or Julie? I can't remember. We were in charge of my cough syrup. Julie, I think. Is it Julie? Yeah. I had a violent coughing fit that, that week. So I, I picked up this cold and yeah, yeah, I, I was seated yeah. underneath the air conditioning unit yeah, on the yeah, plane. Yeah. I got there just absolutely smothering. And I had an apartment in Melbourne that I couldn't turn the air conditioning off even though it was quite temperate that week. There was no yeah. need for air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unnecessary air con- conditioning is my enemy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just was awful. And every time I got to the stage show I just go into this violent coughing fit. Yeah. So I remember Julie uh, before every set would run up and give me my cough syrup and I'd knock back half the bottle and then go morning judges it <laughs> was always lots um, of fun i don't know maybe i think i think i think julie sourced the cough syrup and yeah i might have administered that although that you know it was kind of like everyone was very much like oh well jen and jen and colin used to work together so like maybe she's gonna give him preferential treatment so i think i was trying like very hard like alone in my cough syrup or something yeah yeah no. <laughs> but uh <laughs> that's it my one takeaway from was from melbourne was not the incredible coffee scene but the apricot flavored <laughs> cough syrup <laughs> Or sorry, apricot. Yeah, apricot. Apricot flavored mm. uh, cough syrup, which is all kinds of wonderful. Yeah. It shows that they're much, much further advanced than we ever yeah, yeah. hope to be. Obviously. Uh, and now temper tantrum. So um, mm. you're obviously involved with WCE and um, uh, for a long time. And then I think temper tantrum got to the stage myself and Steve where we realized that it was becoming bigger than we could handle. So we needed to do it full time. And yeah. myself and Steve have minus time. <laughs> uh, so to us it was funny actually because for us uh, I think Steve will probably echo, echo my sentiments if we ever let him back on the podcast <laughs> where we had this frank conversation like we either keep going or we kill it and it was a 50-50 conversation yeah. and we said well if we, if we keep going we need to hire somebody to, to do it full time the only person we could think of is you because you'd been there from the start and nobody else would understand or put up with us so it was uh, <laughs> It was a bit of a no-brainer. How challenging has that been for you? Or how, how, how do you, has it gone the way you thought it had gone? Because you're like four months into it now. Yeah, it? no, it's, it's been um, an immense learning experience. Like I'm really, I'm really excited to do it. And I think I'd always wanted, like I think in an ideal world, it was like, and, and even when I was working for WCE, it was like, you know, this communication stuff is really cool. And like, I'm learning a lot. But honestly, what I really love is sort of that like educational learning event. Like I, that's always been, um, like I'm not, I'm not the world's greatest teacher, but it's a, it's a thing that I really enjoy sort of like being involved in and like thinking about and, and being a part of someone's learning is a really big thing. Cause I, I kind of got that from like, I studied music for years and I used to teach violin lessons and like having, being there for that aha moment is a really sort of nice and cool thing. And so if you can be there for that aha moment on the scale of like 
200 people in a room in Taiwan, that's even cooler. Yeah. Um, and so I really fall in love with that idea and being there and helping to craft those moments and, and be a part of that. And also, like, I love working with you guys. Like, I was so sad when I was in California. Like, it was like, I miss Stephen Colin, I miss, <laughs> I miss 3FE, and I miss that camaraderie and, like, all that stuff. So, yeah, when you guys approached me, it was like, okay, well, this is kind of scary because it's going back to, like, being by myself and not necessarily having, like, a team of people to, like, connect with and... Um, but at the same time, it's been really great because it's, it's every day is different. Um, yeah. Like the other day I was going through, you know, like accounting records with Kieran and like going through stuff. And, the, and the, that's also appeals to me is if you remember our accounting setup before, like yeah. I like the numbers and being organized again, <laughs> control freak. Um, but then also, you know, I also have calls with speakers that were coming up and like I've been having this really extended, amazing conversation with one of our speakers um, in Manchester, Laurent, as, as you know, we, we, you know, go through his presentation even after, you know, I think it's going to be an extended conversation. It's constantly learning for me which is what I love to do as well. Like I'm, I'm mad into the learning and, um, so that's been, it's been really great actually. It's, um, definitely hasn't gone necessarily the way I thought it was going to. And I I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's hard to have expectations, you know, especially for something like this, that's new. Um, and certainly it's, it's also just been an exercise and like just trying, trying new things. Yeah. 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 Do you self identify as an entrepreneur now? No, but maybe I should. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's an awful word. Yeah, it's it's got lots of uh, connotation, denotation to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a loaded it's word. A founder. That's the current one, isn't it? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I'm a founder of Temper Tantrum. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm the organizer. I post a no queen, uh, as it says in my email footer. Yes, that's and many more things indeed. My official title. Okay, so where are we going to kick off? Okay. Um, you know, I thought it'd be really interesting because we, we had like that chat, Steve, Steve and I went to London and we had a chat with Jem and, you know, I, I know that the sound quality wasn't super awesome, but there was a lot of really interesting stuff that came out of that conversation. Honestly, I expected them to be at loggerheads and they weren't. Jeremy wasn't as militant about data logging and mojoing and solubility as I thought he was going to be. Uh, and I think that's a danger sometimes because what happens on, on the internet when you listen to people is that. You sometimes have, you ever find yourself having an argument with someone in your head based on like a 140 word tweet? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you're, they're saying stuff in your head and you're like, no, that's wrong. And sometimes the things that they say in your head are wrong so that you can win the argument in your head. You know? Yes. <laughs> you fill them with nonsensical arguments and go, ha ha ha, I have a counterpoint. <laughs> um, so like uh, he spoke a lot of sense. Um, and I do think it's like Steve is very anti-data as well. I think yeah. it's fair to say. Um, and they kind of ended up in the same place. They really did. And I think part of it is just, um, you know, what, what we see on the internet is maybe not the full story. So I think when Jem originally, and like he and I were talking about this after the recording, you know, when Jem posted that initial blog post about data logging, you know, numbers are really big right now. And this idea that like, we just need to keep learning. We need to keep focusing on this. And this is a tool that they're using. One of the things he, he didn't really say, and I think we came kind of came out of that conversation with was actually, this is a learning exercise for us. Like we're not shooting for particular numbers. Like it helps determine what we do with the coffee, but like, it's not like we would turn a coffee back or we would do this, you know, if, if the numbers didn't match, um, because we really don't have a big enough data pool to determine anything from it. For us, it's a learning exercise. And I think, uh, people saw those numbers and what he was talking about and just went, okay, cool. Those are the numbers we work with. 
um, and they didn't stop to think, like, you know, there, there was a disconnect there between yeah. what Jen was intending and what actually happened. Because there's a misuse of the numbers out there. That, I say, this thing drives, this drives me absolutely bonkers, okay? <laughs> when you go into a shop and you see written on the grinder or on their menu, even, God forbid, but they, like, it'll say 22.3 grams, mm-hmm. 44.7 grams, 21%, or 21.2% extraction, you know, yeah. whatever, 10.2% TDS. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's just a snapshot of one one interpretation of one espresso. Yes. Like you can measure that espresso a few times, you get five different readings, you know. Yeah. And just because you did it once in the morning that way, doesn't mean that that's what you're serving. Yeah. And it's disingenuous to suggest to people that you are. Yeah. Like, is every espresso you send out that day that reading? No, and definitely not. Yeah. And there is, that's the, it's the misuse of numbers that I think boils people. That, I, and then the other thing is that, do you ever make shit Kenyan coffee? Like filter, like mm. a, a shit Kenyan filter. I don't think I have. Like, it's uh, impossible. Yeah. It can't yeah, be done. I agree. It's, it's, as long as you have, the only, the only bad Kenyan coffee I've had is badly roasted Kenyan coffee. Yeah. So as long as it's in a window, and I'm not even saying like three FE spec roasting, I'm saying like in anything from I'm going to say let's say no I can't say because people get upset from, from light <laughs> to dark in the realm of this is yeah. this is tasty okay um, anywhere in there is it's going to be pretty good yeah and like you can under extract it and over extract it and it's still pretty good I miss the days when I'm sure you probably had a few days like this where you would get naturally processed Ethiopian coffee mm-hmm. and it was fuck about day yeah. Like you just put it log, short, up, down, whatever, just put it all different ways and it was like taste it and say, Oh, what's the taste like now? Yeah. I remember Devin Peaty in USBC doing a routine where he pulled the shots and then pulled one for himself and then tasted it because he was like, Well, this is an Ethiopian, so I have no idea what the fuck it's gonna taste like until <laughs> So he's tasting it, Well I taste this, yeah. your shots are gonna be a little bit different because yeah. I mean it's wild heirloom coffees here, they're all over the place, so maybe you'll get a bit more of this or a bit more of that. Yeah. And that was that's the game, you know. I yeah. I just fear we're losing that. I definitely agree. Um, that's been a big thing for me. And as anybody who has who's spoken to me recently, like this, this is my new rant. Um, is is just that you know we are losing that sense of play. I think because there, what I I think it's coming from a good place. I think it's coming from this desire to learn more and to be more professional and to do things in a better way in a more consistent way, because we want to be able to you know hold our product up and say this is really good. Especially coffee is doing something that's really worthwhile and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we're doing that, we are we are moving away from the things that sort of allow us to continue to understand more. Like we're very much still at a at a nascent stage of understanding when it comes to coffee. I feel like, and although we have these numbers all over the place, and we are working with them, and there are there are people who are starting the research, like still really kind of new in a way, and um, people forget that, and, yeah, and, and you and need to in, play in any sort of research, whether it's scientific research or just fucking about in bar research. Yeah. Um, the two really important words are uh, play yeah. and error. Yes. And they're so important. Like they, uh, my wife works in, in mental health with kids and she oh, does so much reading on play and the development of, of uh, kids and adolescents in yeah. play and how we lose that as we're adults and then yeah. it, it stunts our development and our, and our further learning. And, and the ability to make errors and to... And, and to test boundaries is a huge part of gaining knowledge. And what we see is painting by numbers. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really sad. 
How much? How much? How much has fear got to do with all this? Oh, I think fear has an immense amount to do with it. Um, I mean, like we're we're living in a very connected world right now, and the coffee industry in particular is really interested in you know like. Twitter is a huge thing. Instagram is a huge thing. And so I think there's this fear of not meeting expectations, especially if you're a well-established shop or something to that effect, you know, that, that somebody's going to come in, you're going to be having your day of play and they're just going to, because it doesn't meet their expectations, then you're going to be blasted on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And, and then that impacts your business and, and your desire to want to continue to play. And I think there's part of that as well. And certainly when we're looking at service too, you know, when we're playing on bar, sometimes that impacts service in a way. And again, you, you see the same thing. And so I think there's, and it's not just within coffee, I think just in general, there's this increased sense of everything we do is very visible right now. And so we want to be, we want to look like we're doing the right thing or we're doing, um, we're doing things well. And so we're hesitant to try anything that is out of the box or, or to push those boundaries because it, it just means it could reflect poorly on you later when what we really should be doing is applauding those people who are pushing those those boundaries and trying the new things because they're the ones who are going to help us move to the next level whatever that is yeah completely we have uh, something at free of fee that we're working on at the moment and it does reflect all of these things I, I was actually only realized like it was five years ago this week that we introduced the drinking and tasting menu really um and I remember we did that and in truth it was something it was inspired a lot by Penny University yeah and the idea that you could come in and have an experience it wasn't just about cup of, cups of coffee and then there was a blog post that uh, oh dude from Sweet Maria's um, oh that's going to annoy me yeah I'll think of it in a second yeah so there's a blog post of Sweet Maria's about the difference between um, drinking and tasting so maybe you want to drink a coffee, you just like want a, a chokeable Brazilian, but you want to, then you want something interesting, you want to taste like a washed yogurt chef. And there was a large body of customers that wanted to try something different. Uh, but we weren't furnishing that, we were just doing coffee one way. So then the drink, the tasting menu was like filter tastings, uh, what we call a set, which is a single espresso, a single cappuccino. Um, espresso tasting, and then the trio, which is the espresso filter and cappuccino. For those of us who are omni roasters and can do that sort of thing, yeah, um, Ooh, and omni, um, omni. <laughs> then um, so, and that could have changed everything. I remember James Hoffman spoke about it at um, the SCAA event. What's it called? Uh, Fucking <laughs> symposium. symposium. <laughs> my God, where's my head today? So he spoke about it. At, see, I'm trying to think of Tim Owens. There you go. Yes, there we go. <laughs> um, is it Tim Owens? No. Tom. Tom Owens. That's it. <laughs> Tom Owens. Okay. Sorry, Tom. There's too many Tims. That's a problem. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, he, James had spoken about it at um, a Symposium as this really wonderful way to present specialty coffee. And then it was just bang. Like, we yeah. had places in Paris saying, this is inspired by 3FE and people in Australia and Asia um, adopting the same sort of things. And I'm sure there was other places in the world that had done it before. So, um, no doubt I don't think uh, there's any point claiming you were the first but it's um, it's definitely something that we became known for and yeah. just like it just changed everything so much for us you know anyway it gave us an opportunity to play yes yeah. and to make errors and to make mistakes and I'm conscious of that now because I had a chat with the staff and they're concerned that the customers at 3FE aren't as engaging as they used to be and I was like but they weren't engaging in the first place they need, yeah. they need to be engaged so 
we're trying to think of tools and we have this new tasty menu coming out that speaks to a lot about what you've just mentioned yeah. um, and hopefully uh, I'm really actually excited about the impact it's going to make um, so I'll probably talk a little bit more about that on the next Hamper Tantrum but like um, it's it's uh, it's definitely it plays to that kind of thing but the thing about making errors and this is really in- interesting is because it's a huge part of innovation and I don't know if you know this Jen but I'm actually currently studying on a master's program are you Colin? yeah yeah I don't like to talk about it I, really. I, d- I had no idea yeah so I'm doing a master's in, in, in innovation on enterprise and uh, design and um the, the first process of, of any sort of innovation is always about like just throwing ideas out there and innovating and, and like to to come up with ideas and and even if you come up with an awful idea then to discuss why it's awful and yeah. see what learning comes from that yeah I, I just don't I think that's what we're not doing these days it's um it's something that we should embrace you know absolutely um it reminds me of there's a place I, I again I can't remember the name of it so I'm just gonna make shit up okay okay it's in Melbourne Mm-hmm. It might not be in Malvern. <laughs> and it's a restaurant and they have, uh, it's one of the chef's tables. Okay. And the guy is like making food and, you know, in a very kind of systemic way, this is how it's done. And that's not good for innovation. Yeah. So I think it's one day a month or one day a week. They have, you come in and they tell you that this is the idea, that they're going to send their testers. So they just fuck about and then they go, I wonder what that tastes like. And they send it out and then they get your feedback. Yeah, and people love going that day because they they don't know what they're going to get, and it's really interesting yeah, yeah. and engaging, and it allows them to play and make errors and see what they can learn from it. Yeah, coffee needs that. Yeah, I think the what works about that is that that expectation is there. It's been set. This is a day where we play. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe restaurants you have a little bit more, or at least right now, like people are aware of the idea that restaurants might, especially top tier restaurants, might want to play and try new things. And that's an engaging thing, I think, because coffee is in some places still seen as like, this is the drink I have in the morning and this is this is my caffeine hit or whatever. That yeah. It's harder for us to do that. But I think if we set that expectation, it would be super cool. And, but the thing is that it, it's, there's, um, there's an expectation to do things the way we do things. Yeah. And you have your first wave, your second wave, your third wave. And it feels a bit like it's like, oh, this is, we're, we're third wave. And uh, well, not that we'd self-identify as third wave, yeah. but that's just for the sake of this conversation, say that we do. But say, this is what we do. This is how it is. And you see incremental changes here and there. But like, there is a bit of an echo chamber there. What is fourth wave? Is there a fourth wave? Like, do you think, do you think there's, do you see something else coming that will make the industry change? in a in because um, that's usually what happens is that everything crystallizes and it comes together in a very narrow form and then some maverick out there just takes a left turn and goes let's fucking do this yeah. and then it goes somewhere else like do you see that happening or i don't see it happening just yet i think it's around the corner and i think a lot of people are sort of trying to identify fourth wave right now they're just like well or, what we're doing is different what we're doing is fourth wave. we're doing all of the measurements we're taking all of the numbers like that must be fourth wave and it's like no i think there needs to be a bigger jump in order for that to, to qualify as fourth wave, in order for whatever is next. And I think, too, it's not just about how we prepare coffee, it's about how we consume it or how the consumer perceives coffee mm. um, and how that changing shifts. Because when you're looking at first, second, third, you're looking at, you know, coffee sort of like being in the home to Starbucks to to what we do, which is this idea of, you know, quality and direct trade and focus um, and understanding that it's a, you know, a living, breathing thing and it can change flavor depending on where it's from, the cultivar and whatever. Um, but fourth wave, like what is next and how did, you know, is there anything that you've seen? I mean, you do quite a bit of travel and... I don't know, like it's, 
I see kind of what I would be very conscious of is that there seems to be a template for opening a coffee shop or a roastery. Yeah. You do this, you get a probat, you get pro, you get Cropster, you do a coffee subscription. Yeah. You do, and I say this all tongue in cheek because I've done all of those things, you know, um, and it, it, it's like this is how you do it. And that scares the shit out of me because yeah. <laughs> you're just following a formula. You're not really innovating in any sort of way. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I think there's lots, of, like I suppose at farm level, there's lots of interesting ways to innovate. I think fermentation is going to become, um, like it's very current in food now. Yes. Uh, and lots of places doing fermentation experiments with, with, with food. And I know there, there's fermentation in coffee at the moment and sometimes over fermentation, as I'm sure you've tasted. <laughs> um, but I don't think we've even touched that. Like why, uh, has anyone done like fermented cherries for three or four years? Gosh, yeah. Like seeing what happens because what yeah. happens when you ferment food a lot of the time is that it tastes fine, tastes a bit weird. Ooh, that tastes a bit acidy. That tastes awful. Oh my god, it tastes like a rotten corpse. This is yeah. awful, terrible, terrible, terrible. Let's forget about this. Yeah. Come back a year later. That doesn't taste so bad. Another yeah. year later. Wow, that tastes amazing. Yeah. And you have to like a lot of fermenters are are constantly tasting what they're fermenting because it goes through these phases of that tastes absolutely shocking to ooh that's really interesting, yeah. and it's just the chemical decomposition I suppose of what they're doing I've not seen that in coffee no that's that would be super interesting would be really interesting and actually I mean sure we we know already from from history so like you know Lee and Perrins mm-hmm. like Lee and, that's how Lee and Perrins happened like they were trying to make a hot sauce yeah and it was terrible and they chucked it in the basement for three to four years and that's Lee and Perrins now and it's yeah. like a thing that everyone uses you know so I think there is definitely scope there maybe it's just that people are worried about tying the money up in the cherry and leaving it for years but like we should be doing that sort of stuff like we really don't know that much about coffee it yeah it'd be really cool another thing like you know uh you've been to supermarket jen yeah of course and in the supermarket you can buy cherries yes and in some of those cherries have probably come from costa rica yeah places like that uh and they're fresh mm-hmm. well reasonably fresh anyway i've never seen a roaster like Take, oh no, actually I have recently. Phil and Sebastian did this, but they really? did for like a, like a, maybe a basket of cherries or something. Okay. But I I don't know. Like it would obviously cost an awful lot more. But I was always pushing Steve. I said, like, why not has been like bring a container of cherries back? Yeah. And he was like, go off. He's like, it's so hard to do it. But like just do it. Like make some errors. See what happens. Have yeah. some play. You know. Yeah. So I'd love to see that happen. I'm trying to think then what else there is. That, um, there's definitely lots of innovation in terms of shipping and things like that. Yeah. That could happen. But more, um, I, there was an interesting post that Pierre Giuliano put up recently about yes. the coffee organisation, what are they call it? Is it ICO? Is it? Uh, World Coffee Research. Yeah, World Coffee Research, that's it. And they were <laughs> sending samples uh, all at different farms around yes. the world. Like That's yeah. super interesting. That needs to happen. I think that could be a huge part because I think we could do with it. Like there's, there's, there's distinctive coffee varieties. Mm-hmm. Like Geisha is distinctive. Longberry is distinctive. Um, but like I like Pacas and I like Bourbon I'm not yeah. sure I can taste the difference I know I could I could tell that they are different yeah. but I'm not sure I could I could actually nail it down to say well that's exhibiting particular flavours of Pacas yeah. now I'm not saying that there aren't wines in, in uh, that taste very similar but yeah. in, in the wine world it's very like you can taste Pinot Noir yes. against yeah. you know um, the other red wine yeah. 
edit that out. Um, but you know, you see my point. Yeah. So I think if we have dis- uh, distinct varieties uh, that don't necessarily, I'm not saying get rid of the other ones, but like if we have distinct varieties that have exhibited particular flavors, that's a good thing for consumers. Yeah. It makes it more engaging. Outside of that, I think, like, I, I do, I, I don't know if you know this as well, I, I do a lot of talks on grinders. Do you now? Yeah. Appearing in an Australia near you soon. Okay. <laughs> uh, and in New Zealand, actually, come to think of it. Um, but one of the things people always say with grinders is that grinder technology hasn't changed. Yeah. Until the mythos came along. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so... The, and it's generally the same shape idea, burrs, you know, yeah. shoot, that kind of thing. What are roasters? Yeah. I, yeah, I've got another, I think I have very little knowledge when it comes to roasters, but certainly I think if somebody applied something to it, and actually I was thinking you were saying that like the model for opening up, you know, a roastery in a shop right now is get your proba and get your props or whatever. You know, the trend I've seen recently is people are getting the geese weird like yeah. at what point like why are we switching and like how that that all of that stuff is really interesting I suppose it's larings as well but the, even still the larings and geesons and all those other things they're all still a drum that spins with a heat source you know yeah. what I mean yeah, yeah yeah like could you do I don't know uh, like a, a one week long roasting process in in a vacuum I don't know. <laughs> That's the thing is that yeah. there's no thought process going towards that, you know? Yeah. And there's many different ways that you can caramelize foods. Yes. So why, is there any play, is there any error yeah, in, really in that field, you know? Yeah. And that's what I really like to see. At shop level, there's an unending amount of oh, stuff that we could do. For sure. Like service is always a place, I think, where we usually tend to think of that innovation or like like really pertaining to coffee and particularly if you're looking at like how coffee is being consumed, then service is going to play a big part of that, especially as we're looking at fourth wave, um, all sorts of things we could do there. But I, I would like to see it in other places. I think we went on a, probably, uh, I mentioned Penny University earlier, mm. and I think Penny University arrived, uh, Intelligentsia Venice, um, and suddenly coffee was put to the fore, in a, a few, and Tim Wendell's shop obviously as well. Yeah. And those sort of places popped up, um, quite literally in Penny University's uh, case. <laughs> um, but there was a push towards let's, let's make coffee this uh, ex- exclusive, this uh, like, uh, I don't know, this like high profile, like luxury kind of like experience led. Yes. Yeah. And that happened for a while. Like this promote, remember, remember there was a thing where if you had a, a menu above your bar, you were shit. Like you had to, you had to, because that's what yeah. McDonald's did, you know? Yes. And yeah, that was yeah, a no, no. Yeah. And then I feel like in the last year or two, it's gone back to, oh, it's all about, you know, making it fresh and easy and, you know, yeah, approachable and stuff as well. Yeah. Both are, are applicable. Like, where are you? You go to, let's say I'm going to send you to Frankfurt for the weekend. Yeah. That's the first thing I could think of. Um, you're going to Frankfurt for the weekend and you're going to have coffee when you land at the airport. Do you want to go to like a free and easy two euro fifty coffee shop that's really decent? Or do you want to go and have like a 10 euro coffee? What would... If I said both of those yeah. are available now, what would you opt for? Honestly, I would probably go for the 10 euro coffee. Um, I think, A, I hate flying. Uh, I seem to do it an awful lot, but I really hate flying. And the idea of being able to go and sit in a nice space and enjoy a nice cup of coffee, like, I'm all about that. What do you get for 10 euro? Um, hmm. I guess I get the opportunity to engage with the barista if it's not too busy. So I think, I think the thing is, like, when you're looking at price points as well, like, there's something to be said for how busy is your barista. Um, like I would really love to see 
quite honestly, probably the kind of table service that you get from a sommelier um, for a 10 euro coffee where maybe they're coming over and like they're brewing the coffee at my table and they're talking to me about it as it's happening or like we're having a chat. And obviously that's an experience I've opted into at that point. Like, you know, certainly you don't want to do that for the people who aren't interested in that sort of experience. But um, that's, I think that would be a nice thing and just have a little bit of human contact with someone who is not an airline studious, as, as lovely as they are. Like I, not a fan of the planes um and then (laughs) (laughs) i'm just going to reiterate that again um and then uh just have like a nice quiet atmosphere where i can i can enjoy this coffee i can think about it and i can sort of like process it and that's a nice unwindy type space and that in that case it does feel very much like a luxury and and i would hope that the cup feels nice you know like that it's an it's there is an element of that that elevated service to it um but that mostly like the engagement is there if i want it it's not there if i don't want it and like I, I am master of my own domain in that tiny little space. Yeah, That's I think that the last about. point you made is quite interesting, and I'm sure you read the post from uh, Peter Giuliano during the week about compassion in baristas. Yes. Compassion is a wonderful word for a barista to think about. It is. I think usually we use the like I, I've certainly thought about it in terms of empathy, but I think compassion is a much better way to pinpoint um, what baristas should be doing. And I think when when we're looking at all of the so again just like going back to the idea about wine as well um and and all of this hi nick (laughs) sorry nick um but no i've I've been having a chat with with laurent about all of this stuff in service and like how they have their sensory qualifications and how they they run their service and there's different kinds of qualifications and some of them are like when you're taking the test it is a service test it is not about the the wine or the knowledge that you have it is how you can deliver service and i think that's something like when you're looking at the coffee quality uh coffee um sort of qualifications that are out there right now you're not seeing a service-led design at all um, yeah and that's a big part of what we do and so when when peter was the thing about compassion it was like yeah that's that's where we should be teaching that's what we should be doing is is that sort of compassion there should be a course that is like how to read someone and i like adam neubauer um gave a talk in prague about how we can apply theories of psychology to what we do behind bar um and i think that ties in very nicely to that yeah. idea as well like how to read people and how to understand and um, that's empathy, but then how to apply that to the next level and how to, to yeah. really make that a nice thing. I think compassion does fall in to the wider umbrella of empathy. Um, because if you if you are a barista and you're being you're exhibiting like if you're being empathetic with your customers, yes. you walk they walk in and you say, I just wanted to use the word empathetic there. So yeah. They kind of crowbar it in. It's a good so one. Yeah. It's yeah. a nice word. Yeah, yeah. Um so they walk in and you can spot that they they need some compassion, then you can apply that, you know, and that's, yes. but that's, you need empathy to show compassion. Yes. If that makes sense. Alternatively, if somebody comes in and they want a bit of banter, mm-hmm. and sometimes people that I've served at 3FE might, this might be a bit of a shock to you, but sometimes <laughs> I had the banter with you and I wasn't in a good mood, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just, you just, you kind of step up and you have the, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't hilarious. Uh, <laughs> really wasn't. It really was not funny. <laughs> But you, uh, you kind of have to do that, you know, because yeah. you need to be, you're providing that service where you need to be reflective of what people show, you know. Yeah. And some people don't, sometimes people don't need compassion. They don't need banter. They just want a fucking cup of coffee. And that's, you, you yeah. have the empathy to realize that and yeah. just give them their fucking cup of coffee. So I, I loved it. I, and I love Peter Giuliano's posts. I especially, I, I'm not really a big Facebook fan. I'm sorry, yeah. Jen. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but I fucking love a Peter Giuliano Facebook post. Okay. Like I would, I would read them all day. Yeah. You know, yeah. And they're they're not like they're not always about coffee. Sometimes it's just about yeah. shit that 
it's happened with his daughter or something. Yeah. And he's just yeah. like, we went to the supermarket today. And she picked this up. She said, Daddy, why is this? And I went, I don't know. And then it's just, <laughs> it's just this, um, yeah, it's amazing. I feel like he needs to have like the storytelling time that he releases every day. He's so good at the stories. Like, like I always, the first time I actually met Peter in person, we sort of connected over this. Like we both have degrees in ethnomusicology, which is this weird random niche area of study. Which reminds me, we need to organize a big shindig for WBC 2016. Yes, we do. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, because we've been talking about having the session. Yeah, yeah. The session with Peter because, you know, he's a fantastic musician. Um, but yeah, we connected over this idea and like we just, the conversations that we've had in the, the past, like he's just so knowledgeable about so many things and he's so good at putting things into perspective and making these connections, which is a lot of what you do when you work with anthropology, which is essentially what ethnomusicology is, but in the context of music. And and like he's he's just so good at that, but he's also got this voice you can just listen to for ages. Yeah. You know? And you're just like, just tell me a story, Peter. Please just... Just keep talking. I'm going to see him host. I'm going to try and nab him at host. <laughs> if he's should. going. I'm pretty sure he's going. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I want Steve back. No? No, this has been lots of fun. <laughs> um, it's been uh, it's been very good of you to come on. Oh, thanks very much. You're going to come on in the future, aren't you? And be our resident Wilson, aren't you? Yeah. I'm re- like Wilson or maybe Roz. Like I might I might actually like pop in every Roz, now and then. yeah. Yeah. And just sort of be like, no, you're wrong. Or no, it actually is this episode. Or that sort of thing. Um. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun and um, it's been nice, you know, like... Does that make me Fraser or Niles? Ooh. Oh, I don't know. That's a tough question. To be answered in a following episode. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> politically sidestepped if ever I've seen it. Thank you all very much for joining us. Um, go on to that Internet of Yours book places for the upcoming uh, BGE event in Paris. Mm-hmm. Get on to that Internet of Yours and book places at the upcoming... Uh, Cup North event in Manchester. Yeah. Uh, we will be present at both. And um, do get in touch via email, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Send us questions, feedback. Like us on the things that you can like us on. Yeah. And do five-star <laughs> reviews wherever there is reviews to be had. And um, No pressure. None whatsoever. Over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.